You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White and Blue podcast. I am still not Oz Davis and probably will not be at any point in the near future. Uh, but I am Joe Pritchard, the host, the co-host of the Rouge, White and Blue. And joining me this week is Robert Dalton of the Rouge Radio podcast. Robert, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, thanks for having me. Just uh, let your uh, listeners chime in who are expecting Travis. I am definitely not Travis. I don't have his good looks. I don't have his... Uh, his, his deep voice, his infectious laugh, I, I, he is the standard. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't have any of those things either. We also don't <laughs> We also don't have Josh Smith this week. So, you know, we're just rolling with what we've got. So, um, <laughs> But I have to say, though, the first game we're going to touch on this week is one that I think we both enjoyed, being Winnipeg Blue Bombers fans. But I don't think either of us uh-huh. expected 50, did we? No, no. Um, in, in fact, when you know Calaris found Dalton shown for for that long bomb touchdown, I legitimately thought, okay, that's going to be the only touchdown. I honestly did not expect what we what we what we saw. Um, I fully expected PC to answer back with a touchdown of their own, and when they didn't, I was like, okay, we're just. They're, they're playing with us. They're, they're, they're delaying the inevitable. Um, and then once, once halftime hit and it was like 27 to four, I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> like, these are the bombers that I'm used to for like the last three or two and a half years, but we haven't seen this often since week two. So it's like, okay, is this, or, or is this a downward trend and where this is a blip or, are we finally finding the bombers of yesteryear? And this is exactly the team that everybody kind of expected to see. Now on the flip side, as we said in week three, that that was Winnipeg's off game. This is definitely BC's off game. You don't go eight weeks or seven weeks, giving up five touchdowns and all of a sudden give up six in one game. You know, that that's not a, that's not a trend. That's a blip on the radar. And I, I fully expect, as we talk about next week's or this week's games, I, I fully expect BC to just whip Calgary a, a new one. But we'll, we'll, we'll more on that when we talk about uh, this coming up week. But as a Bomber fan, loved it. As a CFL purist, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Here here we go again. Here comes the, those pesky Bombers that everybody loves or, or everybody hates. And... I can't believe this is happening, right? Again and again and again. So um, we'll find out next week. Is this the true bombers that we're going to see going forward? Because they planned, it was a miraculous, or I should say miraculous. It was a well-coached game, well-planned game by Buck Pearson coaching staff. So they earned every every point that they got on Thursday. That they did, and they and the defense stepped up and said, we're – it just said, yeah, we're not going to be the ones that are going to let the offense down this week. They knocked Dane Evans out in the second quarter. Uh, we saw Dominic Davis be Dominic Davis, and we all know what that experience is like. 
Uh, it was just <laughs> it kind of, it was just a nice refresh after week three and BC having run through most of the league at the beginning of the season, minus Toronto, but they're pretty good as far as I could tell. So uh, I guess we, we have two more games to look forward to between these two teams, most likely, unless uh, Calgary or Saskatchewan decide to step up their game. So plenty more where that came from, hopefully for Winnipeg and We'll see. We'll see which we'll see which one of these which week three or week nine was more out of character. But uh, I, I'm sure we'll get a I'm sure we'll get a classic at some point here. Um, but another game that wasn't a classic was Calgary hosting Toronto and Toronto just kind of having their first off week of the season themselves. Yeah, and I think that really that really comes into play when you, when you're missing your starting quarterback, right? And, and uh, this is no slouch on, 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 on their backup, right? I'm sure that he might amount to something eventually in this league, but when you go from inexperienced QB one who plays lights out and surprises everybody to QB two who has no experience, I mean, eventually that, that kind of reality that we kind of expected from Toronto this year, it rears his ugly head. Now, again, similar to what we, what I said about BC, I don't think this is a Toronto team that is going to be losing two games in a row. Um, obviously I think Ryan Denwood did the, the smart thing by leaving Chad Kelly out for the rest of the game. I don't think that was a game that was worthy of him risking further injury. And, Let's face it, as successful as the East has been against the West this year, it's the East is Toronto's to lose. So you don't want to risk further injury to your MOP candidate to QB1 in Toronto to, to a game that maybe would have been in doubt anyway because of the, of the fact that Calgary was running the ball quite effectively. They were running it at will. Um, Jake Mayer while not throwing for a lot of yards, was pretty efficient in the passing game. I think it was like something like 80, 80 something percent, but very, uh, very conservative. But when you have that running game going with them, like that, that they did, it's, you know, it, it's part of the course for you. You're not being asked to do too much when you have so many things working for you in the running game, the special teams. Um, I got, I, I, Kind of like putting down Toronto here by putting up the, by Calgary what they did, but they didn't do much. And it's more so because Toronto couldn't get anything done offensively. And that kind of played in line with, you know, having that injury to Chad Kelly. So give Calgary all the credit that they, you know, credit or credit is due. But Chad Kelly's playing the rest of the game. It's probably not as close. And Toronto probably comes up with a W. Right, but 18 and 0 isn't a thing. 16 and 2 has happened what? Once? 15 2 and oh, yeah. one. It, and, gonna, and, and you're going to you're going to have losses along the way. It's just going to happen. And pulling the plug when you're 3 games up in week 9 is is if you're ever going to have to do it and have to make that kind of decision, I think he's I think he's in uh 
I think Dinwiddie made the right call there too. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think he had a very good feel for the game, which is something that I don't think I would have said about Ryan Dinwiddie as a coach in years past. And uh, <laughs> he had a very good feel for the game. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he made the the correct call in leaving leaving him out there. Right. And Calgary likes to sit back. They like to run the ball. They like to throw the short passes. If Mayer's forced to throw it long, it gets a little bit dicey for them. But if you let them do what they what they did all game, they're going to be a lot more successful. It's the teams that challenged Mayer to to have to throw it long. It, he, they were teams were challenging him early in the season. He wasn't even doing that then, but he finally got out of that bubble a few weeks ago. And now it seems like it seems like we still have that pattern where. If he's not forced to go long, he's not going to, and it's probably a good thing because it doesn't tend to work out so well for them. But it, I feel like you have a blueprint on Calgary. Play play up against the run. Take away the short passes and make Mayor beat you deep. Yeah, that, uh, that's that's exactly it. And uh, if you don't get uh, Tommy Lee Lewis to return a missed field goal or a punt or kick return for a touchdown... You, you've limited their special teams, which is pretty decent. Uh, if Jake Mayer's, if you're relying on Jake Mayer long ball to win you a game, you're screwed. I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know there's a, there's a couple of Calgary Stampeder fans that are listening to this right now. Uh, I'm sorry to say this, there. It's the I think the the days of gunslinging bow uh, under center or they're long gone. Conservative Mayer is is. is it's that's the standard right now in Calgary right now. And it's just not, it's just not feasible for Cal for Calgary to, uh, to, to be, I I shouldn't say feasible, but it's just, it's not probable that Jake Mayer is going to beat you down the field when he's throwing three or four yards down the field, trying to, you know, convert second and 12, you know, and, and whatnot, which is, Ironically, it's something that you never expected Calgary to find themselves in in years past. No, it's been a long time since they've struggled as much as they have. And and as as fans of a Western Division team not named Calgary, how much are we enjoying it? It's <laughs> like, about like, time, I, right? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, like ever since South Bay Gold right there in two thousand eight, like, break up, Western final, Western final, Western final. Break up or Western final, break up, break up, break up. I mean, it's just like Calgary's always been in the final four, if not Western semi. And you kind of saw the downward, you know, after their last breakup win in 2018. You know, they are one and done in the 2019 Western, Western semifinal, 2021, 2022. Um, so if Calgary misses the playoffs this year, which is entirely a possibility, based on their trend for the last four or five years, it would not shock me. Yeah. And then what do you do as the organization? Is it time to start thinking about what's next? Or do you just ride? Because Huffango's been in power for so long. Do you just ride it out and see if he's got another couple of years left where he's bringing in all the talent he's all he's always brought in? And hopefully they find a winning combination again. Yeah. I mean, we had... Um... And I mean, we've talked about this on our podcast. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, who's on the call, who's on the hot seat. Is it Dave Dickinson? Is it Craig Dickinson? Um, 
And I kind of said it when, in our preseason predictions that Dave Dickinson would be on the hot seat uh, just as much as his brother Craig. But now this is his first year as GM. This is his uh, seventh year as head coach, I believe. I think the fact that there's been that movement in the upper upper management with Huffnagel becoming president, Dave Dickinson becoming head coach and GM, there might be a little bit of leniency given that one-year grace period. But that leash from Huffnagel to Dave Dickinson in 2024, if they if if things or if uh, the house isn't cleaned after this year, that leash has become short next year. Yeah, and I can't. It it it's mind-boggling that we're even talking about this, given how successful they've been. But that's the nature of the beast. <laughs> yeah, and um, I for one welcome the underlords of this Calgary Stampeders being basement dwellers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say they're basement dwellers yet because there's this team called the Edmonton Elks, but it's uh, it, it is it is kind of uh, I guess a a different uh, a different universe that we've imagined for a long period of time, where Calgary's not in the top two of the West. Well, we were speculating about potential changes. We're going to now talk about a team that is facing changes. Uh, Montreal beating Hamilton and Tommy Condell being out as offensive coordinator. Uh, it, it hasn't been working in Hamilton all season. It hasn't. It didn't work last year. I do kind of like what I see out of, out of Taylor Powell, but it, the 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 results haven't been there, and I can understand the reason for the change. Yeah, and you know, defensively, Hamilton has really been. I don't want to say mid, they've been good enough, right? You know, the, like if you had a competent offense, Hamilton's defense can get the job done. Right. Whereas the issue with the last couple of years is, I don't know if people have noticed, but Hamilton's been starting out of the gate very, very slow. I don't have the records offhand, but I, I you know, they started out, you know, 0-3 this year. They were like 1-4 and last year, 2-5 and the year before that. And I think they really lucked into the Great Cup two years ago. Um, I, again, this is like this. You know, this has got to kind of surprise me because Hamilton kind of went all out in free agents. Uh, they went all out with Bo Levi Mitchell. Um, canning a, a coach, whether it was Tommy Condell or Orlando Steinhauer, that didn't surprise me. Once they hired Scott Milanovic in the offseason as a consultant, that's kind of like okay, you guys better be super, super good because if you're not, we got this guy who's an expert play caller. And not only that, he's also a great cup winning coach. So, you you know, Tommy Condell obviously, ha- uh, you know, is paying the price for the stale offense. But who's to say to st- that, is th- that the buck stops there, like the train stops there? Because I don't think if the Hamilton Tiger Cats keep on losing, Orlando Steinhauer could be the, the next to go and Scott Milanovic, who is more than capable to taking over both head coach and offensive play calling duties. Yeah, let's go. Let's go back to 2021 and tell our and tell our past selves that hey, by the way, uh, the, Cal- the Calgary Calgary isn't all that good, and they're starting to be on the hot seat. Oh, and by the way, Hamilton's also not that good, and all their coaches are on the hot seat too. Would you have believed it? Oh God, no, no. And uh, how about how about this for uh, for for some kind of lineage? is in 2021, they have Jeremiah Mazzoli and Dane Evans. Mazzoli gets allowed to walk to free agency. 
Dane Evans follows through the next year, but he gets traded in 2023 to BC. They get bullied by Mitchell. They, they trade for his rights, sign him to a long contract, and now he's gone. So in 2022, 2021-2022, you, you probably have a very good one-two quarterback combo in Hamilton. You got Mazzoli and Evans. You got Evans and Schiltz. Now this year you had you had bullied by Mitchell and Schiltz. And now you have uh, Taylor Powell and uh, Pipkin, right? Like that's a complete opposite end of the spectrum to what you had. Like not even last year, but two years ago and three years ago and whatnot. So I mean, it's it, it almost kind of you know, do we have this conversation that the, the Hamilton Tiger Cats let go of the wrong quarterback? Did they give up too early on, on Dane Evans? It's one of those hindsight twenty twenty conversations that we have, but we can only have because of these situations that Hamilton put themselves in. Yeah, they they definitely were going for trying to catch up in the East because they're hosting the Great Cup this year. So that's why they made the mm-hmm. big move from Bo. But he was the biggest name on the market. There was really not a lot of other top tier. Well, to be honest, there's not a lot of top tier CFL quarterbacks around right now either. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> it was. I was. I was uh, having this conversation with someone. It's like you know that the play, the quarterback play, is not that great when the gap between Zach Claros and Vernon Adams Jr. was closing in. Like it's still far apart. It's there, but that gap. Yeah, that gap. It, it went from okay, being now you're on the same field as opposed to you know, not even in the same league, right? So, I mean, that that's where it is. I mean, who knows? You know, again, that's that's a, that's a conversation that we can have later on in the year, you know, once Ferdinand Adams comes back and whether or not Caleros can keep up. But, I mean, that's, I mean, I know it all comes back to Winnipeg sometimes with me, but, you know, that that's where the state of quarterback play is, is that once you stab that comparison with between those two top, whereas before it was, Polaris and then everybody else, right? And now Chad Kelly's into the game, uh, in, into that conversation. No disrespect, not even considering him in that original comparison. Uh, but right. you know, injuries also, are playing. He's a also card. been a half. He's also played a half a season, and we've seen yeah. quarterbacks that have had decent starts and just fizzle out too. Not saying that's where Kelly's going, but yeah, I understand why you'd want to wait on putting him in that we- tier. <laughs> We've seen a lot of them in Winnipeg in years past. Trust me. The oh, we've seen we've seen Stephane. a lot worse than that. <laughs> the name Stefan Lafour still gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> yeah, I was seeing that. I was seeing that, and I'm just like, oh god, They're bad memories, <laughs> nightmares. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Montreal for a second. Then, too, they given that everybody wrote them off after they had their ownership struggles at a terrible time and lost a lot of talent in free agency, they seem to have recovered and at least put themselves back about where they were last year, around 500. Yeah, and defensively, I think people wrote them off because of Jason Moss not having that that record, that reputation of, a, of what he's portrayed so far in Montreal. He's been more calm. I half expected him to be throwing a Gatorade jug or two. Uh, Cody Fajardo has been efficient when he hasn't been sacked. Um, defensively, Montreal has been pretty 
pretty decent. Like that's been the only consistency from last year to this year. And then they went ahead and added Sean Lemon to that Mac, uh, to, to the mix. Uh, and then out of nowhere, Austin Mack becoming this year, almost this year's Dalton shown this year, right? I mean, just coming out of nowhere, nobody expected, uh, you know, a Fajardo to Austin Mack, uh, chemistry brewing in Montreal, you know, Jake Winicky, Eugene Lewis going out. I mean, we wrote him off completely. Oh yeah. Right. And, 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 and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, you have that management issue, the ownership, you know, you know, flowing over their heads. They kind of settled for Cody Fajardo. They settled for, for Greg Ellenson, who I believe still injured sitting on the injured list, you got to give, you got to give up to them. And, and they're, they're opening up some eyes. How much of this, by the way, does this reek of 2017 Toronto, by the way, I don't know if people remember that, but when they canned uh, uh, Scott Milano, I think he, he quit on the team. And then uh, they hired uh, Jim Pop and Mark Trestman in like May. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're, and they went ahead and won the great cup. Like they didn't have a, a general manager to sign free agents and they went ahead and won the great cup that year. So not saying that that's the same path that Montreal's going up, but it gives off very 2017 Toronto Argonaut vibes. Yeah. It's just a reminder that even when it looks like there's chaos, sometimes there's order there and we just don't yeah. see it. And that's, and Austin Mack is the perfect example of why it's so hard to predict this league because there's less, you have less eyesight on incoming talent than you would in just about any other professional sports league, you know, hockey and baseball, minor leaguers, prospects, NFL draft, NBA draft, you know who the young guys are right away. CFL does have its Canadian draft, but the American, the American imports sneak it under the radar sometimes and surprise the heck out of you. Yeah. And I, and I, I saw Austin Mack at preseason. I, I knew that he was a CFL player. Uh, like he was going to be a good receiver, but um, I saw that as preseason action. I did not expect him to be a top five receiver in this league. It's a, uh, he'll, he's, he's got the tools to do, to do this for, for the foreseeable future. And and I'm going to sit back and enjoy watching it happen. Well, uh, and to move on to a team that's been enjoyable to watch this season, Ottawa couldn't pull it off against Saskatchewan, but they haven't been boring this year, have they? No. Um, what? How many times are they going to rely on a, on a defensive score to get them closer to tying the game? And that's it, it, not a recipe for success, right? Like uh, no. their, their two wins against Winnipeg and Calgary was a pick six. You know, uh, you can't rely on that all the time. I mean, it's good to say, hey, we've had this many good uh, pick sixes. That's that's good enough for, you know, PFF uh, honor roll or all-star eventually at the year's end. But it's not something that would be like, okay, go pick off that ball, get it into the end zone. We have faith in you. It's like, okay, it's good to have that faith, but the chances of it happening once or twice, in, you know, back-to-back weeks, is slim to none, but it happened. But it, it appears that Ottawa's relying on it too much. 
Um, so the question I have is, is the magic of Dustin Crumb kind of fading now that there's more tape on him? There's more, uh, there's more preparation for his tendencies, what he does on the first down, second down. Because one thing I've noticed is that he's trying to become more of a pocket passer and then scramble. And then on second down, it's, I'm going to run. I don't care. If if that lane's available, I'm going to try to get one, that first down. It's the one look and run, and that and, yeah. and I hate to make Ottawa fans mad at me right now, but I'm going to tell you who did that last year. That was Caleb Evans. That was his entire thing was one look. Don't even turn the helmet. Don't even look around. And then if it's mm-hmm. not there, find a hole. That was Caleb Evans. Dustin Crumb's trying to be more than that. It's going to yeah. take some time. Yeah. He, thrown into the fire right off the hop. It's not going to happen overnight. But it's going to be hard to have success until that changes. Yeah. On the flip side, I am so happy that Mason Fine had that game, right? And it pains me to say something nice about a Saskatchewan Rough Rider, you know, for us being Bomber fans. But you also want to see some young quarterbacks being developed properly in the CFL to, to, you know, make up for the lack of quarterback play. I felt so bad for the guy that gave that 19 to six game against BC, just nothing but three to four yard passes down, you know, high percentage, low yard output. And it just, it really set him up for failure. And I was like, okay, what are you doing to this guy? Like, I understand that you start out with the conservative play, and as the game progresses, you open up the playbook for him, right? Let him get a feel for the game. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And, you know, I've, you know, it was kind of like, okay, what are you trying to do? Are you, were you trying to lose this game? And at that point, I think Saskatchewan's defense really turned the corner, um, realizing that they're going to have to be relied on a little bit more. But Mason, fine you know, did what he needed to do. And so, I mean, kudos to him. And I'm glad that he found this success. Now, the next step, maintain that success. Can he do it? Can he do it now that he's got confidence? He, he threw a touchdown. He was the engineer to touchdown, uh, touchdown drive to open up, uh, open up the game. He's got the defense to back him up now. Can he do it on a consistent, uh, consistency uh, basis? That remains to be seen. He's still young. He's still green. He's going to throw picks against more dangerous defenses who aren't being left on the field more often than not than, than the Ottawa's offense left the, their defense on. So uh, it's going to be interesting, but I I love the fact that he had that success. I really do. Yeah, the opportunity is there for both Saskatchewan and him. Trevor Harris is getting is not getting any younger, and third place in the West is up for grabs, so let's see what he can do. Yeah, exactly. I don't think Calgary's going to catch them. Edmonton is like I think they're the roadkill right now in regards to rearview uh, mirror. But uh, yeah, I think right now they're they're in a place where I don't think they're going to catch Winnipeg or BC. I think Winnipeg or BC is, is they're they're going to they're going to take that road to to get first or second. So I think I. I honestly think Saskatchewan is like third place. It's theirs to lose. So you, you've, it's up to their coaching staff. So if their coaching staff is going to make some innate, stupid decisions, stupid challenges or whatnot, 
they deserve to lose that uh, to to Calgary. But uh, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting the next couple of weeks to see what Saskatchewan looks like come Labor Day. Yeah, they do have a lot of talent on that team. That just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to get noticed as much because the numbers aren't there yet. But with the injury to Harris and with taking their time with Fine, it they're not going to be. But we'll see. Uh, that receiving core is one of the better in the league, and they don't get talked about nearly enough. I don't think it's one of the best or better in the league. I do think that they are probably one of the most underrated in the league. And I, and I think you nailed it when you said, I don't think people talk about them as much. Um, and kind of expectedly, you've got so many receivers on the sixth game, but Brady Lanius on the sixth game, I didn't really expect too much out of him. Darrell Walker, I didn't really expect too much out of him. Uh, I expected more out of Tevin Jones, and he's get, he's delivered. I didn't expect much out of Sean Bain. He's delivered. Now they're getting guys who are yeah, in there because of injury. Is delivering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they are getting some some production out of those receivers, and I would venture to say that those depth receivers are a lot better than those uh, projected starters in preseason. Yeah, and they're, they're lacking a superstar, but. They yeah. they got they're solid across the board right now. Key and Schaefer Baker comes back around Labor Day. That deep that offense looks miles ahead. Let's hope he takes a couple of weeks to get it going. <laughs> <laughs> That's the bomber fan at me. Um, we're gonna yeah. So let's talk about them going into Edmonton on Thursday night. A lot of people are gonna say, "Hey, look, this might be a trap game." Mm-hmm. Just Winnipeg is built differently, though. Their coaching staff yeah. and their front office d- just does it builds a team that, yeah, they're going to have off games, but they're not going to fall for a thing like a trap game where they take an opponent too lightly. They're not going to have their best game every week, and we've seen that actually across the last couple mm-hmm. seasons. They've played a lot of games where. They'll step up in the middle of the fourth quarter and go, okay, we're we're tied. We're within a couple of points. It's our game now. Yeah, and ironically, a lot of those games have been against Edmonton in, yeah. in years past. Um, you know, it was, it was a couple. if you asked me if Winnipeg was going to beat Edmonton a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, you know what, this might be the game that Edmonton snaps their home losing streak. Then what we saw against what, what Winnipeg did against BC. Uh, now you've got Trey Ford coming back or uh, starting the game. You, we could say all we want about Steve McAdoo being being let go. Or I'm sorry, not let go. He's, he was demoted uh, in exchange for mm-hmm. Jarius Jackson. That playbook is still going to be the same. Yeah, you're um, not going to make a horrible change to your playbook midseason now. Yeah. Trey Ford is still for lack of better words, a rookie quarterback. Right. He's still green beyond the ears. Uh, the the one thing that he probably has that is going to give Winnipeg uh, uh, a lot of issues is uh, using his legs. And Winnipeg has shown specifically in like uh, a game against Ottawa that they'll have issues with a mobile quarterback, especially one that has a wide open, a wide open field to run down, right? I mean, they, they've proven that. But, like I said, perception sometimes gets changed just with, with, with each week. 
I think maybe Edmonton makes a lot closer than the than the line is. I don't know what the line is right now, but it wouldn't surprise me to see it being at eleven and a half. Um, but I would I would be shocked if Winnipeg does not win by double digits. No, and I, I just can't see them of any team just taking anybody too lightly. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. And it, yeah, might not it might be not the be the thing. But yeah, Edmonton's coming off the bye, but Winnipeg's had a full week, so that yeah, Winnipeg's it, been playing might, Thursdays all season, so that's something new for them. Yeah, and it might not be a fifty to fourteen win, but you know, a thirty to sixteen would be just as just be as good. Yeah, if you're I, Winnipeg, I, I'd have a few it. more. I'd have a few more smiles at fifty to fourteen, but I'll take anything <laughs> at this point. Uh, we'll yeah. see, let's just keep it rolling, and we'll see BC in six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, two of the teams that we've just been talking about, uh, Saskatchewan going into Montreal, uh, kind of, kind of a potential revenge game for Cody Fajardo, if you want to go that far. But a couple of teams that are about middle of the pack. I want to lean toward Montreal just because they're at home in that kind of a situation, but. Do you see anything that would change that should change my mind on this? Well, I mean, a the big news earlier this week, and I don't know if it's changed to today, but Cody Pichardo, William Standback not practicing, although they very well could be, you know, they could have vet days. You know, Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, fans know about vet days in Saskatchewan, um, but I. I uh, I kind of expect uh, Saskatchewan, who knows Cody a lot more than a lot of other defense, they can plan for plan better for him. Um, maybe make his life uh, miserable in, in in the pocket and whatnot. I, I I like where you're going with this one with Montreal on the road, but sometimes you you you. You know, Saskatchewan knows Cody better than probably Cody knows himself. And I think with the momentum coming up last week, Saskatchewan's getting a little bit more healthier. Uh, Saskatchewan by a field goal. Okay. That's about where I had Montreal. So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think anything would surprise me in this one, except for one of the teams just blowing the other one out. Oh, yeah. I mean – but I don't think these offenses have the capabilities of blowing out another team. I mean, you look at what but do they have the capabilities of making multiple terrible turnovers and giving the other team like 21 points in a quarter <laughs> that they do. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you look at what Saskatchewan offensively has been able to do. Like their, their wins this year, this year have been within three or four points, right? Again, two against Edmonton, one against Calgary. And then of course, one against Ottawa. Um, I I liken the I like the Ottawa one better just because it was more of a team uh, team win and they deserve to win that game to be honest with you a couple plays here and there and Ottawa's not even sniffing sniffing the end zone you know to even come up with a field goal I'm surprised we didn't talk about that Bob Dice decision though but to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah I don't know where I stand let's go back to that. Let's go back to that Ottawa Saskatchewan game for just a minute. They had the third and one. Or Ottawa had the third and one in Saskatchewan territory earlier in the fourth and didn't make it. 
I wonder if how much that played into him taking the three points from the one yard line with enough time on the clock to let Mario Alford change the game. Yeah. And I'll play hypocrite on this one because you can go to my social media channel to, to verify that when they came out to that and when they were, when it was third and one, I said, take the points. I, I fully admit it, but I said that in not exactly knowing exactly what, how many times or how many, how much time was left on the clock. Um, thinking that it was less than a minute, thinking that Ottawa's defense could hold and they almost did. Um, yeah. And, but, Hindsight's twenty twenty, so we can all look on that uh, negatively. But the worst case is that if you don't get it, as as long as you're not doing third and one from the gun, you theoretically worst case scenario is have it on the one. Can Saskatchewan run the clock from their own one, running up the running up the middle? I don't know. You could get a safety, get the ball back, a couple passes here and there, field goal, you win the game. But, I mean, it sounds a lot more easier, but easier said than done. But that was more possible. And, you know, it, it, it just lacked guts. Now that I think about it a little bit more, it lacked creativity and lacked a lot of, uh, I, I, I don't know, lacked a lot of, a lot of things. I think the one thing that might have held him back from a short yardage play there, and you don't need to ha- make a short yardage play there because you have a 20-yard end zone. You have plenty of room, but the, mm-hmm. but the short yardage package is what goes on from the one-yard line. Yeah. Pigram I mean, Pigram's not yeah. built for that, and they're using him for that. Dustin Crumb is built for that, but you never use your starter for that. Unless so you're kind of a, True. <laughs> But things haven't gone so well in Hamilton, so we can ignore that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I could see that being just a mismatch of personnel, and then also a lack of a lack of faith in the personnel you have might lead you to that decision. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, but, you you sometimes for you you it's one yard. You, you, your defense gives you that one yard. Where, like I said, worst case scenario, you don't get in the end zone and you give up the ball at one at the at the one. Right. right? I and mean, you've been sta- and scenario. you've been stopping Saskatchewan's run game because you stopped them on yeah. third and one to get into that position to begin with. Yeah, because they were. I wasn't wasn't the only team struggling with third and one. Yeah, it's uh yeah it was uh it's a mind boggling uh. Decision to, to sit I mean, it's one that a lot of people did agree with. I included. Now I think back about it. Why not? It's a yeah. It's also easier said than done. Two days, two days later, but yeah, I think I was with you. I was with okay. Let's take the points. Then let your defense keep them from gaining thirty yards, which didn't happen. But <laughs> the other thing to think about too. The other thing that might be in Bob Dice's favor here is Brett Lothar hasn't had his best season this year. Yeah, uh, he hasn't, but you know he has had the mo- momentum where he's. Uh, I think he was making seven for he made his last seven field goals. So sometimes confidence, you know, makes you kick even the most miraculous field goals, right? I mean, 
Are, are, are we going to bash Brett Lawther because of a few bad games in 2023? Or are we going to have faith in him because we know that he can make those field goals because he has for like the last five years? Also true. Yep. I'm just trying to get in his mindset. And that was one of the yeah. things that crossed my mind as they're making that decision. It's like, maybe they don't trust Lawther to make the make a 50 yarder. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes you no, and I understand that point. But if you're coaching to rely on other teams' failures, you kind of almost lost. You're like you already lost at that that time, and that that's my opinion. If you're coaching, it's like okay, well, if we do this and they do that, and they rely on Brett Lawther to make a field goal, which he won't. You've you've already lost, in my opinion. I think you you get you got to go with your your strengths. You got to go with what you think is going to happen in, in a positive fashion. So yeah, it I might mean, have been an admission of weakness at that point that they didn't believe in their short yeah. game. Which I think, again, what, I think that's what it comes yeah. down to. They yeah. believed in their defense more than they believed in their short yardage. Exactly. Yeah. All right. And just going on to the next game here then, after after uh, we went back in time for a minute, uh, Calgary <laughs> going into BC this week. I think we've kind of touched on what we believe BC is going to be feeling like. They're not going to be happy with the performance they had last week, and they're the type yeah. of team that could give Calgary a lot of problems. I think they could, and they will. As I, as I, as we touched about it earlier, BC is going to be ornery. They're going to be pissed. Um, they got punched in the mouth by Winnipeg. Calgary doesn't seem like a team that can do that to a team like BC. Uh, we saw what BC could do to Calgary's uh, offensive line when healthy, right? I mean, they, they've had some injuries to that offense. Um, all, all granted, they are getting Mark Keith Ambles back. Uh, they've got Mark and Michelle, who has kind of not exactly been, you know, making a name for himself. He had one thing; it was against uh, Ottawa. I could be, I could be wrong, but uh, you know, I mean, to make everything short, BC's just going to like just slap him around, and it's not going to be pretty. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, it's in BC. Count. BC can play, can put pressure on quarterbacks. They can play tight coverage to make Mayor Hague on to the ball a little bit longer and have the pass rush come home. Without a deep threat, how do you beat BC? I don't think you do. No, and I guarantee that if Calgary's going to if Calgary's going to rely on doing the same thing that Winnipeg did, I don't think they have the personnel to do that, and. Sometimes when you try to duplicate someone else's offensive schemes, you're you're kind of out coaching yourself. And if they end up doing that, BC's really going to have their way with them. Oh, uh, and you have BC's to think BC's been pouring over that tape, going, "Okay, where did they take advantage of us? How do we fix that?" Yeah, and essentially what they did, and what Winnipeg did, is that they brought in extra protection. You know, they they nullified that front four, which has been wreaking havoc for the previous seven weeks, right? Um, I don't, again, this comes back to personnel. Calgary does not have that personnel to do that. Uh, I'll stand by this prediction. 
uh, BC by 20. Yep. Hands uh, down. I, I have no disagreement on that front. Uh, finally, we've got the Ottawa going into Toronto on Sunday night. Indications as far as we're seeing right now says Chad Kelly's going to play. I also think this one's probably not close either. I think this is going to be a lot closer than we originally think. I think Toronto defensively, I, I think they can scheme properly for a guy like Crum. I think they can scheme properly for the receiving core that Ottawa has where the, where everything is going to come into play or make it a lot close is Ottawa's defense against Chad Kelly. Uh, you know, they're going to force him to run, test that ankle, right? Well, let's see how mobile you could be. If Chad Kelly is just going to be a pocket passer, I just hope to God that Toronto's got the protection in form because Ottawa can bring it just as good as any other front seven, uh, just not as consistent. So, well, I'll give Toronto the nod. I think Ottawa keeps us relatively close, like within 10. I think the reason I feel so confident in Toronto is because I know Ryan Dinwiddie's going to scheme for what Chad Kelly can do and for mm-hmm. what his and, and give him the help he needs. And I think he's been doing that all season. But in this case, this week, if he's going to, fa- if he thinks he's going to face a ferocious pass rush, he's going to have a lot of screen passes in his game. AJ Olet's going to play a ton. Uh, Andrew Harris is going to get a bunch of touches. They're going to do everything they can to nullify that pass rush. And I think Brian Dinwiddie has the smarts and the personnel to be able to do that. And they're getting healthier too, beyond Chad Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a healthy Toronto team becomes a very scary Toronto team. Yeah. To you and me both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was too darn cold to stand out there and watch ten a nine point lead evaporate. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> anyway, but that should do it for this week. Uh, this is Joe Pritchard uh, signing off for the Rouge, White, and Blue, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 